Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Make It a Double podcast, the show where my brother and I have a few drinks and chat about how to be more efficient, productive, creative, things like that. I'm Michael. This is my brother, Nico. Tell him how it works. Hi, and thank you. Welcome for welcome and thank you for joining us to the Make It a Double podcast. Uh, we call it Make It a Double podcast because uh, Michael and I like to uh, have a few drinks along the way. Um, we talk about life and uh, things we're thinking about this week. So, Michael, let's do a cheers. What are you drinking? This is Bloody Mary episode number two. Because number two. <laughs> again, we're recording Saturday day instead of Thursday night, but we'll get in the swing of things. We'll get used We're recording, to it. and that's what matters. It'll be all right. Well, let's do an actual cheers. Cheers. Oh, cheers. Cheers, brother. Well, <laughs> there you are. Look at that condensation on that F1.8 lens. Looks great. Speaking of which, Nico has a new lens he's using this week, right? I think I used the same lens last week, but I do have a new microphone this week because oh, that's going to be the most noticeable difference for sure. Last week's audio was a train wreck. You know, and we thought it was fine while recording, but then came to some realizations afterwards. Yeah, yeah. What and is it that went wrong, Nico? Why don't you tell us? <laughs> You're actually going to make me say. <laughs> <laughs> well, after watching it back and listening back, I realized uh, I had the microphone backwards. So apparently that microphone you actually speak into like the side of it and it has a front and a back, whereas this microphone you speak just through the top. <laughs> Exactly. Anyways, the microphone was backwards, so I was speaking to the back of it, and it sounded that way. <laughs> yeah, and you know that's why that was one of many reasons I encouraged you to go get this one because pointed at your mouth. Can't mess. Can't mess that up. <laughs> can't mess it up. <laughs> well, so yeah, oh, I was really excited to get this one. Actually, it's been a lot of fun setting it up, and uh, yeah, I remember when I first plugged mine in, and you can kind of adjust hearing your own voice back in your headphones. And as soon as I started talking, I was like, oh, I sound good. This sounds good. <laughs> yeah, like this is the whole reason we're doing this. Like just getting the microphone, setting it up, and record. Yeah. It's just fun to do. Yeah, exactly. That's a huge piece of this entire thing. Yeah. Um, speaking of last week, I'm now realizing that we introduced a segment that we have not yet started. No, we didn't pick a thing. We didn't pick a thing. So I think before we do anything this week, we need to figure it out. Like if I need to give you a minute, find any insignificant thing. You could literally, this first week, you could go from a paperclip to a thumbtack. Like it doesn't matter. You just need a thing to start with. No, I had a good idea last week. That's why I was putting you on the spot. But you should fill every, while I go get it, you should fill everyone in. Um, well, should I show it on camera? I don't know. The what thing? Are have you picked a thing? I could think of something last minute. How does that, Do you have anything on your desk that is dispensable? I mean... How about this? I'm going to trade this book. I can't see it. Put it more in front of the microphone. Oh. Okay. Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. It's sitting on my desk... I was previously using it as I do like the book, so sorry for anyone. I Tim Ferriss, is... who's listening to our podcast, <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. But uh, I was using it as a stand for my laptop to raise up my laptop a little higher. And now that I got a new monitor, or my laptop, yeah, now that I got a new monitor, I don't need it. So I'm going to trade that. 
Okay. Um, you brought I, you brought this up, and now you're not prepared. I have. I don't see it in front of me, but I have an Amazon Basics monitor stand that I got rid of when I started using the hydraulic mounts things for my monitor. I like this. We're both selling monitor stands. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> That's what uh, gave me the idea is your monitor stand. And then I have one as well. So for those that may have not listened last week, essentially it's just a trade up challenge, barter challenge. I'm sure it's something you've heard of before. Think about uh, Dwight and the magic beans from the office. Every single week we are going to kind of report back on what we traded up from and to and I just think it's going to be a fun thing to chat about every week and more so the contrast of where we are a year from now uh, and compared to this week. Do we get bonus points if we find a telescope? I think you get bonus points for magic beans. If you find <laughs> <that>. like, <laughs> um, but yeah, so we've decided what we're trading. Nico has his monitor stand, AKA a book from Tim Ferriss. I have an actual monitor stand from Amazon basic Amazon basics. And, uh, next week we will kick off the episode with, uh, yeah. Reporting what we traded up to. And, you know, hopefully some pretty funny stories come along the way. Like I feel like we're going to be dealing with people on Facebook marketplace and it's just going to lead to some adventures. I feel, but yeah, I think honestly, like if a year from now or two years from now, one of us has like, a car or a fucking boat or something like I, that's how this happens sometimes. I mean, that would be the ideal. I don't even know. if it's a, even if it's a not working car, it's like a scrap car. I don't know. I just still think going from my Amazon basics monitor stand to a car would be pretty epic. Anyway, spending too much time here. Um, <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds fun. So no excuses. Uh, yeah, we explained the rules last time, but essentially it's trade only. If you absolutely have to sell the thing, you can't have cash two weeks in a row. It's the one main rule. Like it. We should come up with a penalty. You should have I think you have to pay me money if you forget to trade up. <laughs> yeah, or we have to donate somewhere. Oh, that's a good idea. We donate to a, a good charity or something. Yeah, I'll, World of Wildlife Conservation, right? That, that's mine. Perfect. We'll do What's that. Yours? Does that save the bears? No. Oh. What is it? I don't know. I don't have a charity of, in mind. It's the one that I hooked up my Amazon Smile to. Oh, good. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there there are a couple actually on Everbear's website that I could pick instead. Anyways, we'll do that. If there's a, if you don't if you don't do it, then you have to give money to the charity of our choice and next got to be we'll announce the charities. It's got to be a significant enough penalty. Fifty dollars. You know, I th I was gonna say fifty dollars. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good. Okay. So now that we've spent the first eight minutes on seven minutes on uh, trade up, how was the rest of your week? What have you been up to? Since we recorded last, I mean, I've mostly just worked. Didn't get a, a chance to do a whole lot outside of that. Um, I think I did do a photo shoot Sunday for Vittoria. Yeah, you've been editing a lot of videos and stuff, right? I mean, photos. Yeah, a lot of photos. Yeah. No videos, though. Um, yeah, I feel like all I did was work and sleep this week. Nothing too exciting. But trying to break that cycle by doing this. And then after this, I haven't actually gone out and taken photos 
or like landscapes or anything like that or anything that's like not part of a job in a while. Mm-hmm. So when we're done here, I'm probably going to take the pup, drive up near Park City, um, go up into some of the neighborhoods, try and get some cool photos. That'll be fun. And yeah. By neighborhoods, I mean the, those houses up on the hills on either side of Main Street because it, it's really cool to go up in high into one of those and then take photos directly across. Got it. Yeah. Like of the other side of the valley. That'll be awesome. Yeah. Oh, I promised myself I was going to not say awesome at all this week. <laughs> or No, yours is absolutely. Oh, okay. That's absolutely. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right. I can say awesome. Just can't say absolutely at all. Correct. Yeah. Just replace it. I, I don't think I've said essentially more than twice so far. So that's that's the one I'm looking out for. Good. What about you? How, how was your week? Yeah, I don't know. It flew by. I'm glad it's, uh, I'm glad it's the weekend. I'm glad we're doing this. I just worked a lot and uh, nothing exciting, but this is the exciting part. So, I have been looking forward to this. Oh, I did sell a house yesterday, which is why you bought the microphone, right? Yeah, it's a re- my reward. It's like a reward. <laughs> you want TikTok? Have you seen that one? <laughs> no. All right, we'll get into it then. <laughs> what What was the house? Whose house was it? Can you tell us? No, it was a, a friend of our father's, and uh, they bought a house. They're from Utah, but they bought a house here in Huntington Beach. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, well, that's kind of a good segue because you are, you've been in real estate for a long time, and you have been wanting to kind of ex- not express, but share some of your knowledge on you know being in a pandemic, even though it kind of feels like we're on the tail end of it, and what people might want to know about buying a house. Is it a good time to buy a house? Is it a shit time to buy a house? What does that mean? What should they look out for? How should they be prepared? So like, I honestly would love for you to just kind of go off for a little bit about, you know, the current state of the real estate market and your thoughts around that. And, you know, anything you might tell people, even if people aren't actively thinking about buying a house, maybe why they should or why they shouldn't. So you okay with doing that? Of course. Yeah, I think... (laughs) I think to start this, and I didn't really script anything, so I'm just going to talk at you about it, I guess. And you yeah, can that's just the goal here. Ask questions, but <clears throat> I think that um, the the two main things that come to mind that people really make mistakes about is a the real estate market is different everywhere. So even though we do have very consistent trends across the across the country and each state has consistent trends mm-hmm. there is differences and micro differences inside of different neighborhoods right so where you live at in salt lake and where i live at in long beach they might have some commonality as far as what's going on in the market but it's very different so what i tell you is going on here isn't necessarily what's going on for you in salt lake or for somebody else yeah. in another part of the state or another part of the country how much is so, that different so like how different could it be where I'm living in, I think this is called like Liberty Heights or something like that. There's a name for my little borough. Anyway, but like how could, like could the market here be vastly different from Cottonwood Heights, for, for example? Potentially. More likely it would be like the the majority of them are consistent, like everything's consistent across the board. And then there might be one high-end neighborhood where the average price point is three times what the normal average price point is in Salt Lake. And so that will be different because those houses will stay on the market longer. They'll be, um, you know, 
they'll be desirable, but there's less buyers for that type of a property. So that's what I mean. Like, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. So one one more question before we get started then, like on average, just in general, historically, however you want to say it, like what, how different are the markets in Southern California and in Utah? Because I've heard that Utah's is, you know, pretty stable. Like we're usually the last in a recession and first one's out compared to California. Like, do you think they follow the same trends or what are the key differences do you think between these two markets? Because if anybody's listening, they're probably from here or there. That's a good question. And yeah, they are a little bit different from here or there. And I would say that, you know, it's, historically Utah has been a much lower price point than California has. California has always been at a higher price point, but they're starting to catch up. You know, there's neighborhoods in California that have not increased at the same rate that, um, Utah has. And Utah has Mm -hmm. had one heck of a, you know, uh, a few years and they, where people were, I mean, people are still moving from California to Utah, but it's not a huge, as huge a difference as it once was. So, you know, you're, you're trading off a lot by, by going there. But for the most part, it is a lot more consistent in Utah. If you look at what happened in 2007, 2008 with the, you know, housing crash and the financial, uh, uh, great recession, there was a lot more, there was a huge deficit in California, like everywhere took a hit, a huge, massive hit. And Utah very much was the last one of the last states one of the last areas to really be affected and then they came out really fast they came out you know before california did mm-hmm. and i mean i'd have to you know pull up the graphs yeah. side by side and show you but the but, tldr here is that like the key differences like i was asking about is that california just overall is for the most part at a higher price point and that california is also slightly more volatile than utah yeah exactly i mean cool. Uh, less, yeah, slightly less than normal. But if you're going to say in the worst of the markets where we have seen recession, mm-hmm. Utah got hit less than than some of the major parts of California, especially the luxury parts of California. Those got hit the worst mm-hmm. during the recession. Okay, well then let's let's dive into, you know, if you want to give us some overarching perspective on how COVID the past year has impacted it a lot, a little, you know, maybe just start like about the real estate market in a pandemic and what if what it has mean or what it has done at all, if anything. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the I will say that I, my opinion is going to be biased because I think everyone I know should buy a house. I'm just yeah. a big fan of real estate, and so I want all of yeah. my friends to buy real estate. And so, so every time I, I get asked these types of questions, I always lean to, yeah, it's a great time to buy. Yes, you should buy a house because – in the long run, buying real estate and owning real estate is better for you. And so if you're able to buy a house, even in a recession, then you want to buy a house and you should buy a house, then you shouldn't just because of what the mar- happening to the market. Gotcha. And so what we've, what we've seen during COVID is, you know, the people who have maintained their financial stability and a lot of people started working from home more often and that affected them in a way that, you know, I'm spending so much time at home, it might be nice to get a house that's further from the metro area and has a little more room. And especially with interest rates being what they are, like people were able to buy more house than they were just even a year ago. So a combination of those is there's a huge demand for 
people to buy houses right now. So in Southern California, we're seeing just a massive, massive amount of demand and a huge reduction in the number of inventory because, you know, it's there's just less houses on the market and there's multiple factors about it. You know, people don't want to sell their house if they don't know where they're going to move to. So it's kind of a double-edged sword when it comes to inventory. Um, there's, a, yeah, a few other differences, but, you know, so is it a good time to buy a house? Well, prices have never been more expensive, but they probably aren't going to be less expensive anytime in the future. And so what I always recommend is you shouldn't decide if you're going to buy based on what the market is doing. You should decide if you're going to buy or if you're going to sell based on your personal, you know, life situation. Are you in a situation inside uh, of your life or inside of your family is definitely the biggest reason that you should, um, either buy a house or not buy a house. house. Yeah. Not about what the market is doing. So yeah. Did, did you, did you, uh, thrive during COVID and now you're in a situation where you want more room and you're working from home and yeah, you should buy a house because it's better for your family. Do you need to get more space because you've recently had a child and they're getting bigger and you know, it feels a little crowded inside your house. Those are reasons why you should buy a house. Did you, uh, lose your job and have to take a job at, with less salary, maybe you need to downsize. That's a reason to sell a house and buy a different one. You know, those are the reasons people buy and sell. And that's why even when there's a housing boom and we see a huge amount of sales and a huge increase in pricing, and on the opposite side of that, when we have a recession, we see a huge decrease in price and inventory and sales, the, the number of transactions that happen really don't change that much. There's a little bit of up and down, but it's way more consistent than inventory and demand and pricing and they're even at the top of the market or in the bottom of the market there's a pretty consistent amount of sales because people buy and sell houses and they need a place to live based on their life's situation so just like you shouldn't invest in stocks and invest in the stock market based on the market you should just be consistent with the way that you invest Mm -hmm. you shouldn't buy a house based on what's happening in the market today both are a longer term play right that's the safest smartest thing to do So I can empathize with the feeling of like, well, a lot of the allure of living near downtown is now gone. And so, I mean, that's part of why I liked my apartment so much is it was a five minute ride on a lime scooter anywhere I wanted downtown. Um, But over the last year, working so much from home, my create, you know, the creative side hustles have expanded. I've really been like, God damn, having a second bedroom that was an office having a yard for my dog, that sounds a lot more appealing to me than living five minutes from downtown, which was much of the allure a year ago. And so, yeah, but I mean, but I haven't even really looked into it and buying a house just seems like something that's so far away. Like, cause I, I don't even, I don't even know where I would start. You know what I mean? Well, it's definitely something that you want to take time and think about and prepare for. It's not some, it's not like buying a car. Like you can't just say one weekend, Oh, let's go look at cars and then buy a car that weekend. Mm -hmm. It's not the same for buying a house. You do need to prepare. You do need to make sure that you are financially in a place that makes sense for you and that you've saved up enough, uh, you know, capital to, to put down a down payment, but you don't need as much down payment as most people think, you know, every single, 
you know, at least every single week I'm, I'm uh, speaking to someone and they think that they need 20 or 25 or more percent down payment to buy a house. And it's just not the case. I mean, you really only need 5%, 3.5%. And there's some cases where it gets even lower than that. But for One the most the part. that someone would disagree with you there. I don't know them, but I just have a feeling someone's going to listen to that and be like, don't listen to Nico. You absolutely have to have 20%, 30%. Like why would like why would someone disagree with you? People would disagree with me because they think that it's too much risk to finance that little amount. If you finance that little amount and then the value of the house goes down, then you're underwater and you owe more than you can sell it for. But if your but, plan is to live there long term, it's not that much of a risk. Yeah, for the the rule of thumb is if you're going to live there for less than 3 years, you probably shouldn't buy the house. Maybe you should just rent. Like if you know that you're going to stay in this house and live in this house for at least three years or more, then it's okay to buy. But, you know, it costs more to buy a house for the first year. Like if you're going to say, I'm going to buy a house and live in it for one year or I'm going to rent a house, every single time it's going to cost you more to buy than it is to rent. But year two, three, four, five, six, and then beyond, your average cost is going to go down. So, you know, buying a house versus renting a house is going to change based on how long you live there, based on the market. But in the long run, if you can afford it and if it makes sense for you to do, buying a house is a better financial decision almost every single time. I feel like I know people whose mortgages are nearly half of what my rent is. Absolutely, because they bought a house four years ago. And I saw a meme like yesterday. It's like, the bank doesn't think I can afford a $950 mortgage, so I pay $1,400 in rent instead. <laughs> right, because they probably have, you know, credit card debt and uh, two car payments and, you mm -hmm. know, they're, they're, the amount of monthly payments compared to how much they make in a month is the disparity is too good. I mean, too great. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, buying a house versus renting is one of the age-old, like, Arguments. arguments that's just always going to exist probably yeah my one of my the ones i hate the most is you'll get um somebody who's a financial advisor and and a financial planner and it heavily invested in stocks and indexes and mutual funds and says you know it doesn't make sense to buy a house because the appreciation is so slow that you could put that same amount of money into the stock market and you're going to make x amount more dollars problem with that is nobody puts 100% down on a house. Usually people don't put 100% down on a house. They don't buy it in cash. If they do, they're not worried about if they're going to make more money in the stock market or in the house. They're pretty financially set if they can buy a house in cash. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's one of the, the, the funniest ones is it's like, oh, you can – you can put that money in the stock market rather than a house so and make more money. You're going to have a higher return, so you should put it in the stock market. And it's like, listen, buying a house, your first house, is not an investment. Stop. Like, that. the end, that's the one Period. thing people, yeah, people have to stop thinking that, oh, I need to get a good deal or I need to wait till the market goes down or I need to time the market right. Buying a house is not an investment. This is the place that you live. This is the place that you're going to spend all your time with your family. Like if you spend a little bit more money than you know you think you should, but you're going to live there for 10 years and you're going to raise a family and make memories in it, does and it really matter? There. 
yeah, does it really matter if you think that you might have paid $20,000 more than you need to? No. Exactly. In in six months, that 20000 is not going to matter. That's a really good point. Um, yeah. So overall, your general sentiment is, if anybody is wondering, with COVID and everything going on, like, is it a good time to buy a house or is it a bad time to buy a house? Your overall sentiment is that that's much less about what's going on in the market and in the world and much more about where you are in life. Right. Could you buy a house today? Are you financially capable of it? And what's holding you back from buying a house? So is it holding you back to buy a house because you're saving up for a down payment or are you holding back to buy a house because you're worried prices are going to go down and you want to wait a year or two? Are you going to move? If you bought a house today, would you move inside of three years? If the answer to both of the if the answer to that is no, and you can buy a house, and you're gonna stay here once you do, you should buy a house. Like you should buy a house right now. Interest rates are lower than they've ever been, and even though inventory is tight, and even though prices are high, if you're in a position to buy a house and you're planning to within the next few years, but you're hoping that the prices are gonna go down, it's just not gonna happen because the basic economics of it, the basic supply and demand show that prices are going to continue to go up. You know, in 2008, when we were having a huge uh, reduction in average price, the number of uh, houses on the market was over 100,000 in, in our MLS, which is one of the largest in the country. There was over 100,000 homes on the market. In 2013, when we were also having a really hot seller's market right now, there was about 50,000 homes on the market. And today, it's the lowest it's ever been, you know, at least in the last 15 years or so. We have over like 32,000 homes on the market. So, you know, supply and demand would say we have almost no supply. The supply is the lowest it's been in 15 years, and the demand is still extremely high, if not higher than it was in those timeframes. So prices cannot go down until our supply goes way up, and we're not going to add 70,000 homes to the market in one day, you know, or one year, it's going to take time. So if you're trying to wait for prices to come down, at least in my marketplace, it's not going to happen anytime soon. And that trend is consistent across the board. So sorry, my AC kicked on, which is why I had my mic muted. It should turn off soon though. Um, thinking longer term and you saying that it's definitely best to not even consider buying a house if you're not going to be there for longer than three years or three years or more. How, well, like when people talk about the market going up, so my question is when people talk about the market going up and down and like, oh, prices and high prices are high and prices are low, is that fluctuation actually great enough to make a huge difference long term? Or like no. how big of a disparity are we talking about like between when the market's up and when the market's down? Like, how much of a difference is that typically? Well, I mean, like like stocks and like investments and like everything else, if you look at it from 15 years ago, everything's way up. It's more than 100% up than where it was, so it's hard to make that distinction. What people are worried about is, like, the next few years, right? Like, if I buy in the next year, can I buy it here instead of right here or is it going to go this way or is it going to go this way? It's definitely not going to come down to here. It's definitely not going to go up to here. 
but they want to make sure that they try and buy it down here rather than up here. And the, the, the point is, is that when you live in a house for five years or longer, three years or longer, the percentage change isn't going to affect that much, you know, and it's not going to go down 20%. It's not going to go down 10%. And in the next 24 to 36 months, it probably is not going to go down at all on average. Interesting. I'm just, it's a lot to try and take in. We, we had this conversation, I think, not in a recorded conversation not too long ago when I was just, um, when I realized that there's just so much more to your job than I thought there was, like not to be rude or not give you credit for what you do, but I was just like, I thought the real estate agents were just like this middleman that for some reason you just legally had to pay in order to buy a house. Well, but first of all, just... they, they don't have to be a part of the transaction. You don't have to have a realtor if you don't want to. You can buy and yeah. sell a house without one. And then but you were telling me a bunch of the reasons. It, yeah. yeah. Your example. Did we, was this, we did, oh, this was in one of our practice episodes. Yeah, that, I think this was in one of our practice episodes. Yeah. And you really kind of went off on the value of a realtor and why people should use one and that it's not just some crook who's going to convince you to buy some busted home so that he can get a commission and leave you forever. Like, and, and I always viewed real estate agents and the home buying process as very transactional. Like this house costs this much money. The bank says I have this much money. Real estate agent exchange, please. Like, and then you're the guy that switches it. And you use this example of this extenuating circumstance where there was a contract you had to negotiate where someone sold the house, but wanted to stay living in the house for a little bit. And this person was buying the house, but wasn't actually going to get to live in the house that they were paying for for a while um but before we get into that we're hitting our 30 minute mark what do you say if we take a one minute intermission uh restart the cameras and have a drink sounds perfect let's do it okay <clears throat> welcome back from intermission surprise, all right surprise nico and i got a little distracted and carried away making our second drink. <laughs> <laughs> the sun's a little lower in the sky. The drinks are now full and uh, we're back. <laughs> a little stronger. Um, <laughs> I mean, but it's it's basic. It's 530 here. That's evening. I can start drinking now. Um, all right. Well, I think that we should transition over um, from the fire you were dropping on us to um you know some maybe actionable things that people can either keep in mind or start working towards if they're looking to buy a home pandemic no pandemic you know you gave them some things to consider as far as their life situation so let's say someone's in the mindset that they're like i'm thinking it might be a good time to buy a home and you want to give them some like actionable advice you want to go want to go for something like that sure yeah i'd say to start with you should definitely take a look at your personal finance and see how solid you feel about it, right? So do you know your credit score? Do you have at least a good credit score? Um, you can still buy a house if you don't have a great credit score, but it's going to affect your interest rate. So you don't really want to try buying a house until you're at least over 700, preferably over 720. You want to make sure that your debt to income is uh, solid. So you don't want to have too much debt payments. So meaning, you know, you don't want to have credit cards where you're making payments on them every single month, at least not a lot. 
comparison to your income, you should have a lower. It's a lot there. Ah, uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Like a percentage of your income, or like a dollar amount. Percentage of your income. I mean, gotcha. ideally, you're not making any credit card payments. You know, personal finance 101. You're you shouldn't really hold balances on your credit cards if you don't have to, but. Yeah. You definitely shouldn't have, you know, more than 20% of your available credit used. Um, and ideally, it's under 5%. And your available credit, you know, the higher the better. So if you have less than, you know, $5,000 of available credit, you should work to increase that for sure. Um, it's going to improve your credit score and will just help overall. So, okay. You have good credit. You have no debt in your credit cards, at least. Maybe you have a car payment. But overall, you have good income and very low debt, and you've saved a little bit of money. How much should you save? Well, the first thing you should really do is figure out how much house can you afford, right? Like what kind of a monthly payment can you afford? And you can do that a few different ways, but, you know, what do you feel comfortable paying is probably the first step, right? Like, what are you paying for rent right now? If you were to pay, you know, let's say you're paying $2,500 a month in rent in Southern California and you want to buy a house and you're comfortable paying up to $3,200 or $3,500 a month in mortgage payment, what does that look like for a purchase price? And the first step I would suggest is to get on your phone here and download an app called uh, Mortgage by Zillow. So you've all heard of Zillow, and you know a lot of agents who may listen to this may think that Zillow is the, the enemy, but they have a really good app called Mortgage by Zillow that I like because it has a feature called Affordability Calculator, and you can just put in your income. So let's pretend we make $100,000 a year, and we've saved, you know, $40,000 for a down payment. Um, oh, that's a million dollars. Nope, we don't make that much every year. And I don't know if it's just me. That sounds, I, I can't even imagine saving up $40,000. <laughs> well, you know, if you're going to buy a $500,000 house and you're going to put 10% down or 5% down, 5% you'd need 25000 So, you know, you don't want to put every single dime you have into your down payment because yeah. stuff can come up. You're going to have closing costs. You're going to have insurance. You're going to have things you need to do the house. So you want to just goes, goes back to what you said about, you know, it's not a car. You can't just decide like, how much can I get for this one? Let's swap them out. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, you can go trade your car in tomorrow and not put a dollar down. You know, we're going to buy a house. This, this sounds like something you're looking forward to for years, probably. I mean, ideally, you're probably, even if you're making $100,000 a year or more, you need to be uh, saving regularly so you can afford it, right? So if you yeah. make, in this example that I'm giving on the Zillow Mortgage app, if you make $100,000 a year and you've saved $40,000 for a down payment, your monthly debt is $250 a month. Maybe that's just like your car payment or something. You can uh, afford up to a $500,000 house, you know? If you really wanted to stretch your budget, you could buy a $600,000 house and your payment's going to be $3,300 a month. Now, that includes, um, you know, taxes, uh, homeowner's insurance, things like that. But 
3300 a month for someone making $100,000 might not seem like a lot to them if they're single and don't have much other expenses, but it's a good portion of your income, you know what I mean? After taxes, that's a solid amount of your monthly bring home. So, yeah. You know, that's kind of just to give you, you know, a rough estimate. Um probably if you're making $100,000 a year and you have $40,000 for down payment, you should probably be lean closer to a $500,000 purchase. So 2750. So $2,750 a month in mortgage payment. So that's how you kind of start to look at it and you say, you know, okay, what does $500,000 get me? You know, if you're in Salt Lake, that gets you a house and probably in a decent neighborhood. If you're in Southern California, that gets you a condo and looks like your neighbors with me in Long Beach and not in Newport Beach or Manhattan Beach or the South Bay or Santa Monica or something like that. So you got two options, right? You can either need to make more money, save more money, and then you can buy a bigger house or you can decide to live in a smaller house. Now, if you're going to enter the real estate market, you should do it as soon as you can, you know what I mean, comfortably if you feel confident in it, right? So if you were to buy a house five years ago, even if it was a smaller house than you really wanted, you would have rode the wave of, you know, these last five years, you would have rode the wave of appreciation and now you have a good chunk of equity and you can trade up to a bigger house. And so a lot of times when we see families who have built-in equity into their home over the life of their, how they've lived in a house, they've, you know, you get into house once and then you're able to leverage the equity you gain over the years because eventually it builds an income. So you might say, well, I can only afford a $300,000 house right now. And that's like a tiny little condo. I can afford a bigger house and rent it. And it's not going to be that big of a deal. Yes, but and you're going to continue paying that rent and rent's going to keep going up. If you live in that house, in that little tiny condo for three years or five years, A, you're going to pay down your principal. Your payment's never going to go up. You can paint the house, do whatever you want with it. And then you can leverage that appreciation and that equity to trade up into a bigger house. You know what I mean? It's really making me want to buy a house. <laughs> That's my whole goal. Condo. I want everyone to buy a house. I, I think that... that it, from you. I'm just kidding. No, I know. I'm just kidding. You can't go wrong. Always buy a house. No, I'm just kidding. That's definitely a lie. You can go wrong. Here's the problem. Some people, I'll, I'll do the opposite of this and give you the example of the mistake people I'm super, make. I'm super overexposed. Give me just one sec. I got to shut that window. I'm sorry. That's okay. Give me one sec. Go ahead. I'll, I'm just going to talk for a minute while you're gone. Um, well, while, while Michael's gone, I was just going to say that, you know, uh, the opposite side of it is people will buy a house and get... Uh, house poor, as they call it. And also, you know, there was people who bought houses in 2008 and 2007 and 2006 at the peak of the market who overpaid for a house and then they were underwater for a lot of years. And that's the biggest fear, right? People don't want to get into a house and then lose a bunch of money. Um, you know, they're, they're afraid that they're going to buy the house and then they're going to get underwater and then they're going to be stuck in the house. And you just need to understand that we're not going to see a recession like we did from 2008 in a very long time. So, you know, the opposite side of what makes people not want to buy a house, Michael, is that there people will make a mistake of getting into a house and becoming house poor, right? So in that scenario, if you there's a little slider in the affordability calculator where you can push it down and say, 
you can comfortably afford this to this is going to stretch your budget, right? And so for a $100,000 earner, a $3,300 mortgage was the peak. Like that was all the way to the right, the least, uh, yeah, that's the most house they could possibly afford. And if you're doing that, there's a situation where depending on your lifestyle, you're going to become house poor where you bought more house than you can reasonably afford because you've been paying, you know, let's say you've been paying $2,000 a month in rent and you've been used to that amount. And now you moved, you bought a house and you have a monthly payment of $3,300, but your utilities, every dime you make is going into having that house. Right. Well, you also, people don't take into consideration the overall costs of having a house, right? Like if you got to buy a new fridge, it's your fridge. You know what I mean? You have to buy it. If there's a leak in the roof, you got to pay for the roof leak. Like when you're renting, you don't have to pay for any of that. Now mm-hmm. you can calculate that into the costs and it's never usually more than, you know, a few percent a year of the value of the house. But you do need to make sure that it's comfortable within your budget and you're still saving money every month for those capital expenditures. And when people stretch their budget so thin that they can just barely afford their mortgage and the rest of their payments, and then all of a sudden something happens to the house or, you know, something happens with one of their jobs or their car breaks down or anything like that, then you really get stuck. So you don't want to buy a house just for the sake of buying a house and then get in a tough position. You really want to make sure that you're financially stable enough to buy the house Mm -hmm. so steps so far were you've got good credit ideally over 700 um you've saved up some money probably five ten percent well first you've used the app mortgage by zillow to tell you kind of what you could probably afford and then from there you have saved up ten percent five percent i would save at minimum five percent ideally 10%. You don't need to wait until you have 10% to buy a house, especially if it's a condo, right? Those are going to have a lot less maintenance and overhead. You're going to have a monthly HOA that you have to calculate. If it fits comfortably within your budget, you can stretch a little bit on the down payment and the actual savings that you have and buy a condo because it's going to have less maintenance than a single family home would. That makes sense. What else? Yeah. Uh, Pay off your credit cards, increase your credit score, save money, and uh, call me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, this could be a good time to highlight some of the things we talked about in that practice episode about you know why use a realtor and why not to try and go about it on your own or use homie or something like that. Well, I don't. I don't. Okay, we speak- don't have to talk about homie at all. Just like speak to the value of having a realtor. Sure. Yeah, no, I, and th- it's different for a buyer and for a seller. I'll give the example I gave in our practice episode. We had, so I uh, I manage an office or I have managed an office uh, here in Long Beach for some time. And so I have some agents that I oversee and they had a contract uh, or a deal that they were working on. And uh, there was two agents. One of them was a little bit more experienced. The other was a little less experienced, but it, w- it was... Uh, they hadn't, I, neither of them had done a deal quite like this uh, yet, or at least not in a while, where because it's such a heavy seller's market right now, the seller was uh, basically had demanded or requested that they were going to 
sell the house and stay living in the house until they closed on their upleg or until they closed on the house that they were going to move into. So they were going to sell the house and then use that money from the sale to uh, close on the next house, which is not that uncommon or a big of a deal. It's, it's typically you line it up so you can close concurrently, meaning you close one one day, take the money and close on the next one the next day. But um, in this situation, it was going to take a little bit longer than that. And the way that the contract was written, it said uh, that the seller would be able to stay in the house for seven days after the close of the next house. So they were making a timeline based on the next purchase, which ended up in an unclosed loop, right? So there wasn't a specific time frame or a cap of time that was going to end the contract. And because of that, it got to a situation where the other sale was delayed. So our buyers who we represented had bought a house and they couldn't move in yet because the seller's who were buying the next house hadn't finished closing on that property. And the way the contract was written, it looked like that could last forever, right? Like what if that house never sells? What if something else happens and it continues to, to happen? What if that house burns down and they're not able to close on it at all? Does that mean the buyers never get to move in and the sellers are just there indefinitely for free? Like those were the issues that were, possible and luckily it didn't come to all of that it just meant there was just a, a one week delay rather so they were supposed to move in in a week and they ended up moving in in two weeks so it wasn't that big of a deal but um the the downside of that was the what ifs right and then the answer is you just have to go to mediation and argue with each other about it but the point is is that there's forms to cover those. There's clauses you can put into the contract and there are safeguards that you can put into place. And when they spoke to me about it, I was, you know, just letting them know that in the future, these are the steps you take to remedy that and make sure that there's always a closed loop. There's always an end time frame or a max time it can be allowed. And if it exceeds that time, then there's you know, a per diem or a penalty or a m amount of money that the seller needs to pay or a hard cutoff time so that there's, you know, it would be hard to file a eviction or an unlawful detainer action is what we, what we call it. If there's somebody in the property who's not supposed to be for a period of time, if the contract was read like that. So anyways, not to keep dragging this on, but my point being that there are situations that come up that if it was just a buyer working directly with a seller. They might not realize that yeah. and not realize that it could be an issue. I don't even try and read the terms of service for things I sign up for. I can't imagine trying to navigate a contract for the buying or the selling of a home. And even if I did read through it, I can't promise that I would notice that gap in, you know, having the limit based on the closing of that person's next house. And like not, but without any specificity around what could go wrong or how long that could be delayed. So sounds like you're saying one of the biggest values of having a realtor is they're familiar looking through contracts and contracts can be a pain in the ass. Uh, not entirely sure what happened there, but um, I don't know where we left off. So it sounds to me like what you're saying is that the value of having a realtor is having people that are familiar with contracts and, you know, those yeah. types of contracts more specifically. 
Yeah, I'm sorry about the audio. We had a little uh, interruption on our uh, recording tool here, but I would say that, you know, anytime you're thinking about doing something new or making a big purchase, you want to utilize people who have done it before. Like, this is my expertise. This is other people's expertise. And I don't want this podcast to come off as an ad for my real estate services. I literally just want all my friends to buy houses. But do they need to use realtors? They don't have to, but they probably should. You know, and a good analogy that came to mind just randomly while we were talking is, you know, you have a very nice camera. If you throw that camera in someone's hand, they could take a nice picture and they could probably figure it out. It might take them a really long time to figure out how to take the best pictures and how to use the camera correctly mm-hmm. or they could just ask you how to use this camera. And because you've used it so many times, you could say, oh, yeah, do this, 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 and this, and then you're going to get a good result. So do they need you for that? Probably not. They could figure it out. How long would it take? How much research would they have to do? What is the risk inherently? And how important is the picture they're about to take? What's the result they actually end up with? (laughs) Right, yeah. So that's the analogy is if you use somebody who's, only job is to do these types of transactions and to make sure that they're successful, you're going to get the result that you want more likely than doing it yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's very similar to an analogy that I've actually used before many times. It's like everyone has an uncle who went out and bought an icon. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't mean you want them to shoot your wedding. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Right. It's like yeah. it's the difference between your cousin with a camera and a photographer. Before, when me and Julie got married and she said she was getting a, a wedding coordinator, I was like, I've done events before. Like, do we really need one? And after getting married and working with Braylon, our wedding coordinator. Oh, my God. Yeah. Holy cow. I cannot imagine doing that wedding without her. She I've was only... amazing. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people say when, after they go through buying a house for the first time is they're like, Wow. That I did not expect it to be that involved and that many moving parts. And mm-hmm. thank you so much. You were amazing. Like that is the best feeling in the world to get through with a transaction and to see the genuine gratitude yeah. that the client has. Like, and thankful that I was there to help them through it. Like that is, you can't pay me enough for that. It's so cool. And honestly, let's go back and just shout out Braylon because that wedding was also fucking incredible. And I've yeah. been to many weddings, but watching her run the show like a general, like running an army was incredible. Just yeah. being a part of your wedding, it wasn't even my wedding. Every person who I know that's gotten engaged since then, I'm like, get a wedding, co- get a wedding coordinator. More specifically, call Braylon. <laughs> like, call Braylon. I don't care where you're getting married on exactly. this planet. You need yeah, Braylon. Exactly. Yeah, she's and, fantastic. And maybe if not her, get a wedding planner for sure. Like, <laughs> yeah, regardless of if you use her or not, which I think you should because she was amazing. But, but I mean, th- it's just blowing my mind how good these analogies are because it's like you could have planned that wedding. And I'm sure it would have been a good wedding. It would have been great. But Like, how nice was it that you and Julie didn't have to think about anything but walking up there and kissing Julie? Like, like she did everything. And so you were able to enjoy your wedding a million times more than you would have had you not had a wedding planner. And I'm sure that people don't want to move into their house, probably especially their first house. And by the time they're moved in, 
all the magic is gone of like their excitement of their new home and what they get to do with it because they're exhausted from all the hurdles they had to go over just to get into it. And then they're starting out their new journey in their first home full of like resent and like bitterness. And so like hire, like whatever you're doing, real estate, planning a wedding, you know, you need a photographer, like whatever it is, like in the end, it's almost always worth it to pay someone who's done the thing before. Yeah. And I don't think that there's a lot of people out there who don't want to use an agent, especially on the buyer side. Like it's kind of, uh, if you're looking at houses on the market, the compensation is, is already set up there. I won't go as far as saying that it's free to a buyer because there is a commission involved. And even though it comes out of the purchase of the home, you know, it is inherently, uh, worked in there, but you just don't know what you don't know. Right. Like Mm -hmm. when I was getting married and we used a wedding coordinator and she just brought things to light that I didn't even think about thinking about and nor would I have. And it's very similar to buying a house. It's just, there's so many moving parts. That experts are experts know. for a reason. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I feel like this has been pretty helpful and insightful. I like that you didn't go too into the weeds, you know. Hopefully I, it didn't come off as an ad for Nico Colitis Real Estate <laughs> Services, which is in the business, by the way. But <laughs> I don't think that <laughs> – don't Google that. Nothing will show up. Um, <laughs> you can Google my name. I'll show up. I – uh I think it was good. I don't think it came across like a, like an ad. I mean, t- us talking about real estate, I guess, kind of comes out of nowhere. But I know that, you know, our last episode, all they got was introductions to us. And you're this is a topic that you're an expert on. And I've had this conversation or overheard these conversations, you know, three, four times in the last couple of months. And I know you have these conversations every single day. So I figured as far as me learning, I mean, I think about buying a house all the time. Did you learn something today? Absolutely. That I'm got some work to do before it's a reality. You know, I have kind of had it in my head that I was going to be able to just, you know, really buckle down, fix my credit, and then I'll buy a house. But it's like, you're going to need to save up some quiche, bud. You need some money. (laughs) Yeah. Well, luckily, when you buy a house, a big chunk of your down payment can be utilized from the commission because your brother's a realtor and isn't going to take any of the commission himself. So love that for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I do think that this was helpful. I'm, you know, it's not a real estate podcast by any means. So I'm glad that we didn't get really in the weeds and you kept it high level and conceptual. And so, um, you know, one of the biggest things that I learned was when considering a good time to buy a house, it, it doesn't, matter all that much, whether the market's up or the market's down and to not get caught up in that. And more so just think about your life situation and whether it's a good time for you and what the net value of buying a house is going to bring you. Like you said, if you pay $20,000 more this year than you would two years from now, but it's going to give you more room and space and quality of life goes up and you're, you know, you go from an apartment to having a yard for your dog and you go to having one bedroom to three bedrooms for your kids. Like, that the, you know, consider those things over what the market's doing. That alone is something that I didn't consider before. Yeah. But, and, and, and even, you know, what do you want from a house? You know, people don't, I mean, what we didn't even cover is, you know, do you like the idea of painting the walls or remodeling the kitchen or making it your own? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, do you like those types of ideas and, and home design and, and uh, renovation? Like you yeah. can't do that with a rental. You really can't. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, 
uh, this was super helpful. I really appreciate you. I, I like hearing you kind of go off because about real estate because I know that you know what you're talking about and I can tell that you don't just put up with it. Like you, you like what you do. It's pretty nice. Um, so it was educational and informative and entertaining to me. Um, I hope that whoever's listening enjoyed it. I have a couple of drinks in me, so my Saturday night's off to a good start. <laughs> and so, I, I mean, I'm good with wrapping it up unless there's anything else you wanted to cover. No, no, I appreciate, uh, you know, your your uh, interest in it and letting me talk real estate to you. I, I definitely can get into the weeds on this and I can <laughs> yeah. get really involved. Um, so, yeah, it was fun for me. And right. uh, go buy a house, everyone. Yeah. Uh, and don't forget, Nico, that next week you need to have traded that book for something else. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah. Write it down. Write it on your arm. Tie a string around your finger. Whatever it is you, ha- whatever it is you have to do. Remind me to trade my Tim Ferriss book for something else. You got to tell her when. Nah, she'll remind me. Oh, I do have to tell her when. I'll put a I'll put a time frame in there. Okay. All right. This has been the Make It a Double podcast. I'm Michael. That's my brother Nico. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you later.